into the CHGO White Sox podcast coming to you live from Studio A of our CHGO White Sox podcast here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. Alongside me, Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him at Wall 23 You can follow me at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. You can follow the show at CHGO underscore White Sox. And the man in the box, wait, that's not a Rush uh, song. That's Allison Chains, uh, is Vinny Duber. You can follow him at Vinny Duber. He is our CHGO White Sox beat writer. You can read his latest piece, basically three of them, uh, at allchgo.com. They sent you out to Scottsdale, Arizona. They put you in that box, and you went to work, my friend. Uh, his latest one is the 13 things we learned about the White Sox at the GM meetings, and basically we're going to dissect Chris Getz now. So, hello, Vinny. How are you? Hello. It's very sunny here. It's a beautiful, beautiful day in the Valley of the Sun, as you can tell. And the cool thing is the sun won't set on you today. We're going to have all that sunlight the entire show. <laughs> Uh, that is correct. That is correct. Very fun how the sun uh, was illuminating Vinny yesterday. And that by was cool. The sunset, though, was real nice. I mean, not for Vinny. It was probably dark nature. as hell. Yeah. But <laughs> to us, it looks smooth as hell in the background. Uh, yeah, Vinny, you're missing some great weather here. It's mm. just so sunny and nice and beautiful, and you suck, and we are very jealous. <laughs> um, what's the what's the biggest – I mean, you, you wrote the article, 13 Things We Learned. You also filed the one on Yohan Moncada. Uh, you also filed the, the file the one on uh, Chris Getz not liking his team. Um, is that the biggest takeaway? I know that was the, the question to end yesterday's show, but this is kind of a continuation. We're going to dive into what Chris Getz had to say. But, um, yeah, I mean, is that the biggest takeaway, that he doesn't like the team, or, or is there something else reflecting on it? Well, I mean, that's the headline, um, you know, that you're, you're pulling out the one sound bite there. I think that that was in reference to, yeah, probably the biggest takeaway, which is he's got a – probably a pretty significant makeover plan for this team and this roster, this organization, really. Um, and I think obviously that work starts now. That work might take a while. It might not get done in one offseason. It might not get done, um, you know, by the time we hit 2025, if we're talking about exactly what he wants this team to look like, because it is about building an identity and and, and doing these kind of intangible things. Um, you know, we're, we're getting a glimpse into his biggest priorities this offseason, which apparently is just improving the defense first and foremost. Um, that's not usually something you hear from a baseball team in, in terms of what they're trying to do. You usually hear a focus on pitching or a focus on hitting. Not that defense isn't important. It obviously is, as White Sox fans well know from watching the team the last couple of seasons. But for that to be kind of the overarching, that's the number one thing we need to, to focus on. It kind of speaks to what this project is going to be like for Chris Getz when it comes to creating the kind of team he wants to see and, and bringing in guys who play the game the way he wants it played. Uh, biggest takeaway is that while he didn't say the names of Kenny Williams and um, Rick Hahn, he pretty much then threw him under the bus, but he says his team is just poorly constructed. And those are the guys who were in charge of the team. And so he's saying the stuff that we see as fans, but he was also in those rooms with those two gentlemen. And I hope he spoke up at the time, but he didn't like how this team was constructed. As Vinny said, they need more defense, and he was adamant in wanting more defense. One of the reasons why Tim Anderson is no longer a White Sox. Yeah, that's basically going to be the first break is what you just brought up, that this all starts at the top. Sorry, mint is in my mouth. All good. Um, it all starts at the top. Uh, that's going to be the second one. But my biggest takeaway is, again, there are no untouchables. I know he said that before, uh, but there was a little bit of panic, just like when you mentioned that Yohan Moncada might be playing the outfield. We'll get to that later. Uh, that he might truly be entertaining trading Luis Robert Jr. And that's, I guess, a question 
for the budget because he is one of the more expensive players on the team with value. I mean, I'd love to trade Andrew Benatendi. There are no takers. Uh, so you just cross him off and who's next, right? There, there might be a chance that they trade Luis Robert Jr. So we're going to jump into Luis Robert Jr. And then we'll jump into it all starting at the top. But Chris Getz, are you going to trade La Pantera? That's clip one. Louis Roberts, one of the uh, brightest stars in, in the game. Um, so, you know, that would, that's, it's not something we're being proactive on. If, 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 if there's something that makes sense, so, so be it. But Louis Robert is, is the guy that you build around. You have to listen, obviously, at this point. Sure. I think, you know, I don't want to be short sighted or, or closed minded in any way. And if there's a way to, to help our ball club both now and in the future, you know, we, we have to consider that. Um, and from the 108 has been doing a great, uh, well, I mean, uh, on Mondays, Beef Loaf and Cherizy of from the 108 have been doing a great exercise where they're trying to trade with every team and their trade with the Seattle Mariners involved Brian Wu and Bryce Miller coming over for Luis Robert Jr. And hey, if the White Sox are getting two starting pitchers plus and a ton of prospects, maybe there is a godfather offer that I wouldn't be throwing up at for Luis Robert Jr. But again, I think that it is, if you are trying to build a team around defense, Kind of dumb to trade a Gold Glove nominated and former Gold Glove winning gold, you know, center fielder in his prime. And I think the end part there where you know it's a player you want to build around, um, it's good to hear that reiterated, at least with all the crazy things flying through that hour-long uh, press conference. Well, I mean, again, I, I think you go back to what he says there is if it makes sense and you and – what makes sense is what makes the White Sox, uh, it puts them in the best position, not only for this year, but certainly in the years to come. And I think most of the things that make sense include having Luis Robert Jr. be a part of this team. There are going to be, you know, as we talked yesterday about the baseball multiverse, there are worlds in which teams are going to offer up ridiculous return packages to get somebody as ridiculously talented as Luis Robert Jr. onto their roster. If that offer comes across Chris Getz's phone in some way, obviously he's got to think about it, right? I mean, that's his job is to listen to, and to consider uh, everything that, that comes his way. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean, though, as he said, the White Sox are out there looking for a trade to, to get rid of Luis Robert Jr. It just means that if that one offer in a million comes, around, comes along, uh, they've got to be ready for it. So they can't, you know, you can never say never kind of thing. Uh, you, you know, there's the Sean-o-meter for Sean Dunstan, yeah. or the Herbo-meter. Um, maybe we'll make it a thing. Uh, what percentage do you feel that Luis Robert Jr. would get traded this offseason? 1%. 1%. 1%. Because okay. think about this, and I've said this on, I think, different podcasts. I don't know if I said it necessarily at the job I have. Um, you, should, you should probably be doing it here. You should. But this is very rare that we bring up a Luis Robert trade. And, like, no. Like, firstly, the player. It's just great. You want to build around, as he said at the end of the clip. Secondly, the contract. It's great. Four-year deal, pretty much under, con under money for a player that he is. Thirdly, you're not going to get the return for the player and the contract that is Luis Robert coming back from any team. Like, there's not enough prospects and there's not a team that's going to trade you major league talent necessarily that is equal to what Luis Roberts going to bring to the table for the White Sox. So, Chris, I'm glad he's keeping an open mind because, as you said, Vinny, as you said, Sean, never said never is a thing that you should keep that in mind. You should keep an open mind if somebody comes with an offer that you're not expecting. 
But I'm looking around at all the major league teams, and I've scoured and said, hey, well, if a rebuild was to start, Luis Robert would be my first guy I would send. But then I looked around the teams. There's no one available that is of Luis Roberts' ilk with four or five players and the contract that he has that is also so enticing to other teams. They would fleece the White Sox no matter what happened. Right. I mean, he's got under club control until 2028, so it's a little bit different. When I think you're entertaining a deal for Dylan Cease, there's two more years, and we we forgot to do our Borisisms, but I can't wait for the teams to cease all dealings and immediately call me because um, he's dealing all the time. Dylan, I don't know how you'd say that. He's how would, Dylan all the time. Dylan all of the time. Uh, he's slurring his words two years uh, from now. Um, yeah, I, I think that it wouldn't make sense to trade Luis Robert, but uh, you know, one percent I think is fair. Um, and Fred's. Uh, our good dear friend uh, Fred is asking, I haven't seen a chance to see the full video. It's kind of why we're making it a little bit brief for people who might not want to digest an hour long, uh, you know, video of Chris Getz. Uh, did Getz take any responsibility for the state of the organization's minor leagues? Uh, what we're going to play next is about the culture and identity, um, but at least to speak specifically to the uh, minor leagues, he did say there's going to be some philosophy tweaks along the way, but I feel like we have a pretty strong structure in place. And Mike Shirley, uh, Marco Patti, uh, these people are still having jobs within the organization so um and, and then obviously we've seen paul yanish be added josh barfield um so maybe josh barfield would be able to add a little bit of his uh uh pizzazz to uh the the, the organization um but he also said uh, i want to be very wise for the moves we make for 2024 knowing where our minor league system is so i guess that's the the biggest responsibility of saying knowing where it is aka we stinks um so i i guess that's what it is but i do think that Gets yesterday, I don't want to be too, you know, I mean, he hasn't made any moves, right? I mean, I guess no. he's declined Liam and Tim Anderson, so I don't want to be too goo-goo-gaga over the guy. Um, but I really like this answer, uh, clip two, about uh, the culture and identity and how he sets out to change that. You know, I've said this from the beginning. So much of this is going to start from, from the top. It's going to start from me and... You know, whether it be players or staff or anyone that's part of this organization needs to know, you know, what we're about and where we're where we're moving forward. And we, we need to, to really establish the identity of what the White Sox are about. And I feel like that we've lacked that. Um, so I'm set out to do that right now. Um, and, you know, eventually these players will go out there and meet expectations. But the ultimate goal is to, for them to, to go beyond what the expectations are. That's when you know you've got a strong culture. So is even though fans may not want to hear this, is identity and culture, obviously you're looking for good players too. But is that that's part of the process, I'm guessing? Well, it's establishing, it starts, it starts with the, the infrastructure, right? And, and when players are in the environment, they're going to feed off of what we're providing. They feed off of each other. So, um, you know, it's really not the chicken or the egg. It, 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 it really starts with, um, you know, with myself and, and, and our staff, our coaching staff, our front office, everyone that's involved in, in setting the tone of what we're going to be. It starts with myself and Herb. I don't know if this is the clip that you were referring to with the Rick and Kenny and maybe bus tossing, but it does seem like, again, he's trying to change the environment. He's trying to change the organization. He's trying to change the identity and culture. I don't want to be too goo goo gaga. I don't want to be, you know, uh, just buying into anything that he's saying and eating out of Chris Getz's hand. Yeah. But I do feel like, again, uh, maybe it's just a lot of buzzwords floating around, but, you know, that's uh, a strong uh, statement, at least from Chris. Yeah, um, like I said, this press conference he had with Vinny and the boys and girls down there in Scottsdale was a much better introduction to he 
who is the new general manager, than the introductory press conference he had at Guarantee Rate in two different situations there and a little bit more relaxed than this one. But I would say that he does, it does start with him, but I would want him to take ownership on everything like not just leave it to your delegates like this is your job you will be judged upon how Paul Yanish does because it seemed like with the old thing Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams weren't necessarily judged upon what Chris Getz did because he did in my opinion a poor job but now he has this job so the the words were great yesterday that out was almost an hour long uh, uh, speech from Chris Getz and talk with the media good stuff Put some action into it. I would love some action behind it. I know we can't necessarily do it right now, and it's baseball moves slow and free agency and such like that. It was a good conversation he had, and I liked what he said, and I get what you're saying, what you're kind of enamored by that guy that maybe you weren't having high expectations that he would be that and say the things that he said, but I want to have some action into that. And the players I'm hearing, the rumors of players I'm hearing, where you say you want defense first – and then you get players who are not defense first, or the, at least the rumors are not defense first. So who are you talking about? One right there, Salvador Perez, bandied oh. about. Like Paul Young is an average to above average shortstop. He's top that, ten. He's a average to above average shortstop. Defensively, he's top ten. That's all. That's those are the. I know I'm numbers boy here. Yeah, but average the, to the above num- average. The, the above, numbers are my bible. Yeah, and, but average yeah. to above average is top ten. Yes. Okay. So, I, that's not a, not, this isn't semantics. That's not a player that I would want on my team when you got rid of Tim Anderson. That doesn't move the needle. That, to me, seems like you're downshifting to some regular schmegler thing. He has to prove it to me still. And as I said, and like Fred says, like was he stepping up and saying, we need to change things in the minor leagues to Kenny and Rick? If he wasn't, then this is on him too. That part of that thing is on him, too. It seems like he's bus-tossing those guys without putting their names on it, and they deserve to be bus-tossed, but I don't like him like kind of absolving any culpability that he had in that whole situation. Um, yeah, and just to add on to that, I mean, I, I said I'm not falling for Getz yesterday. I'm not falling for Getz day one like I did for Pedro. Uh, if I'm watching Paul DeYoung play 150 games at shortstop, Getz is starting in the doghouse. Um, so don't worry. Um, but, I mean, Vinny, I, I know you meant, you didn't really mention the culture and identity part uh, within your article, uh, but he did mention at least looking at defense, and, and this is going to be one of the clips that we play later on, um, talking about the mistakes that they did make in the field without, uh, you know, throughout the years um, and needing to change that and, and correct course. Um, I feel like that is maybe a, a lean to where that culture and identity might become for the White Sox for, uh, for the next couple of years and in, in the long-term future for the, the, the Gets plan. Yeah, I think they go hand in hand. I think they're two different things. You know, when you talk about them improving defensively, that's very much of a tangible on the field result of a play kind of situation. Um, You know, when you talk culture identity, we're talking about intangible things and goodness, how much time do we spend on it during the season talking about it in regards to to Pedro Grafol? And I I don't know if we ever got to the bottom of, of what that was supposed to be. Certainly though, whether it was Pedro or, Uh, the people who have joined the organization since Chris has been promoted to GM. The word that keeps coming up, including today, by the way, when we talked to Marcus Timms on on the Zoom, was 
vision, 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 vision. Everybody is very complimentary of the vision that Chris Getz has for where he wants to take this team. And at, I think you can at least point to that as being a positive as he is moving toward a very specific goal and a very specific vision. It isn't necessarily just let's assemble some guys and hope that they win. Uh, I mean, it, it truthfully seems to be what he said in that clip, which was top to bottom of the organization, trying to establish a set of a set of principles and an identity, which maybe hasn't been there before. And and I don't necessarily think that that's them saying or Chris saying like, oh, boy, if, you know, if it weren't for if only Rick and Kenny had worked on the identity, we'd have four World Series in the last four years. Like, I don't think that's what that was necessarily. But it's a guy stepping into a new position, even if he obviously was part of the front office before stepping into a new position and saying, well, this isn't here. I want this to be here. And so he he certainly seems to be working toward that. It might, like I said, go hand in hand with what the moves are or aren't this offseason is it going to be something where you know the culture and identity work needs to come first to lay that foundation does that mean they're not going to go out and get the the highest name you know the biggest name free agents in the world or expect to 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 be in a position where they're competing for a championship in 2024 because they have this other work to do it might be necessary work but um certainly if the goal is to try to establish that it's not going to happen overnight i would have to imagine uh, very cool to the, they got to talk to Marcus Thames, uh, re-listening to the Getz uh, back and forth, the Get, you know, Getz hour-long pr- uh, press conference. He mentioned that Marcus Thames was somebody with an immense amount of uh, recommendations. What's the right word? Endorsements, um, right? And I know we brought up, you know, four teams uh, that Marcus Thames has been the hitting coach for over the mm-hmm. past four years. But it seems like all four teams were like, hey, this guy's great, um, right? So maybe yeah. he might not have been the right fit for the team. But uh, anything else that you took away from the Thames uh, back uh, Zoom uh, besides the vision part uh, that you just mentioned with Chris Getz? I mean, some some stuff that you would expect from any hitting coach. I, I don't think you know that you got a ton of insight into to necessarily the, any sweeping changes that are going to be made. But a guy who wants to go out and establish relationships with these guys and let them know what they do well. And I think any any way in which a hitting coach or any coach can kind of, you know, puncture this uh, some of this this bubble around some of these White Sox players and get them to kind of be receptive to what they're coaching. Chris admitted yesterday that maybe that was a bit of a problem at times last year. And so, uh, you know, we saw Luis Robert Jr. make the strides and make the changes that he needed to make. We've kind of haven't seen that with with Aloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn and 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 Yoan Moncada to to a better, uh, to a lesser extent. So um, if if Thames is able to come in and make those connections, establish those relationships and, and be successful at talking with these guys, I think that's going to make a big difference. Good to hear because I know uh, with at least the Angels, it was attacking the zone and for at least, you know, each player is different and we're going to try to work with each player on what they do best. Uh, you know, hey, I'm I'm all for it. It doesn't sound bad. Right? No, not at all. You know, also doesn't sound bad, Herb? What happened? Uh, Midtown uh, Athletic Club. Uh, Midtown's four Chicagoland locations are in Palatine in, Northwe- in the Northwest suburbs. Uh, Herb, which one's the one in uh, the North Shore? Bannockburn. Bannockburn. Thank you. Uh, Willowbrook in the Southwest Suburbs and the Midtown Athletic Club and Hotel in the middle of Bucktown and Lincoln Park. It's basically uh, where Vinny is, but in Chicago, right? It's it's your oasis within Chicago. Uh, their statements from uh, their, their clients say, Midtown is the nicest fitness club I've ever been in. I've been to some really nice gyms around Chicago. Midtown is truly next level. There is something to do for the entire family. Child care is included with family membership. 
And Midtown and Palatine has launched a multi-million dollar transformation of the club, which will complete in early 2024. Listeners can lock in favorable rates in if they join before the end of the year. And their club features super luxe locker locker rooms with wet and dry saunas and premium amenities, amazing outdoor and indoor pools and hot tubs, a collection of boutique fitness studios with more than 100 classes per week included in membership. And this isn't just gym quality. The spaces are boutique quality. The arena, it's a high intensity interval training. Uh, There's yoga, there's boxing, there's spin and cycling, there's cross training, there's the theater, which has group exercises and the best tennis and uh, tennis, the best tennis courts and programming in sport. Midtown has indoor, outdoor tennis, pickleball and paddle tennis, USTA professional quality all the way. So head over to midtown.com slash CHGO to tour the Midtown Athletic Club nearest you. And again, whether that be the Southwest suburbs in Willowbrook, the Midtown Athletic Club and Hotel in Bucktown in Lincoln Park, uh, the one in Bannockburn, the one in Palatine. Uh, thank you to Midtown Athletic Club. And we also want to let you know about our friends over at Empire today. Two giants in the sh- in the Chicagoland area uh, in the first ad break. Boom. We're hitting uh, heavy hitters here. Uh, Empire today. You'll get shop at home convenience, the right products for your needs, quick and professional installation, and a low price guarantee. Empire is the best place to get flooring. So, of course, they have copycats, but those copycats can't beat Empire on quality, service, and speed. So, they, the copycats, uh, advertise low quality products that they simply will carry. They won't promise the lowest prices empire because anyone who does that promise you the lowest prices are not putting in quality home or flooring into your home. Uh, empire keeps shopping at floor simple with a curated product selection and their virtual floor designer makes it easy for you to see how new floors will look in any space. Just snap a picture and instantly see how new floors will look in your room. Schedule a free in-home estimate today. All listeners can receive $350 off when they use promo code CHGO. Restrictions apply. See empiretoday.com slash CHGO for details. Again, receive $350 off when they use promo code CHGO. Restrictions apply. See empiretoday.com slash CHGO for details. Vinny's on the move, so let's go to a super chat. Uh, We got a new listener, our friend Thomas, Thomas Salata. Thank you for the super chat. saying, hey guys, first time checking you out. Realistically, what are the first things that Gets has to do to turn this team around? Uh, we got more on what Gets is going to look for uh, in the clips, but Herb, I'm going to ask you, what do you think? I think the first thing he needs to do is to just have a better uh, hitting philosophy for these White Sox. Now, that's probably not in his purview, I don't know if they give that to uh, Marcus Timms or if that's uh, Mike Tozar, but this whole organization doesn't walk. They don't get on base at a high clip. That has to be taught. That has to be learned by these players, and you have to draft these players. But you know, Mike Shirley is drafting players. You know, a couple of years ago they drafted a guy who was a high on base guy in Zach Collins, but he couldn't hit a look. You need to just have a more efficient way of getting on base besides just hitting the ball and they don't hit the ball over the fence so if we're going to be that team that is a defense first team which he wants that pitches well which he wants we got to get on base for Luis Robert our big superstar so he doesn't drive himself in for what 40 percent of the time with solo home runs I think that is the 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 quickest way the White Sox become a better team not next year 
that's why I would be all in favor of a complete rebuild and just have all the minor leaguers say, this is how White Sox baseball is taught to get on base. This is how we're going to get on base. We don't chase balls out of the zone. If we do, there's a not a punishment. There's something we have to do to correct that type of behavior. 50 push-ups. Something, because... <laughs> the, like other teams do it. Other teams have, I mean, there are people who are just naturally know the strike zone, inclined to not string at balls out to the side of the zone. But it seems like the White Sox minor leagues, which was one of the worst, if not the worst in baseball, they don't have a person that is like saying, hey, this is your pitch. You should swing at this pitch. And when that pitch is over there in the batter's box, that's not on yours. Don't let it – don't swing at that one. I know it's easy to say from here. I'm looking at the pitching uh, ninja, and it's like, yeah, it's really hard to do that, Herb, when that fastball 97 on that black is going the same trajectory as that slider that just breaks off the side. I got it. But there's got to be clues that Major League Baseball players have and Major League coaches have that we don't, and the White Sox need to find those players and find those coaches that can teach that, and that has to be a – team-wide philosophy yeah what you're saying is that baseball players uh shouldn't say wah 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 my job is hard uh, yeah if they should try i mean i i understand no one's saying baseball is easy no um and hey no one's saying that the uh task uh that daniel or not daniel was it daniel i'm sorry uh thomas thomas, thomas uh alluded to uh you know this is a daunting task for chris Getz. so let's play chris uh, clip three where chris Getz says it's daunting is it a daunting task when you sit there and you're first, I mean, you've been to the front office for a while, but first you're on this, that you want to add another catcher, you want to add second and short, maybe right, probably three starters, depending on what moves you make, and then I would guess always a couple bullpen guys. Is that tough to take a sit, step back and say, okay, but, you know, this is all part of a big picture process? Yeah, you, you certainly don't want to get, you know, lost um, or, or, or overwhelmed with the amount of work that's in front of you. And, and really, you wake up each day and you find ways to, to improve your ball club. I mean, that's how we're approaching things, and it's it's one move at a time. Is that a list that you guys feel that you can complete in one offseason, or is it something where it might take two winters to, to get every item checked off the bat? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's tough to answer, quite honestly, um, because we do have so many holes uh, to fill to, to be a championship-type caliber club, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to be able to make a lot of strides and feel really good about our club, both, you know, in 24 and, about, and beyond. Um, so, again, going and lumping those two in together, I think the first steps for Chris is just changing how they operate and it seems that's very focused on major league uh, playing experience. I don't remember that being spoken a ton about it, but it does seem like every single addition has played major league or minor league baseball. And I feel like Chris's theory here here is the experience, the organization needs to be prepared for anything these guys are going through. Um, and the addition of Grady Sizemore is interesting. I know he mentioned what, what Grady's bringing, and he said, you know, Grady played four seasons where he had 700 plate appearances, right? Um, that Grady loves that grind. And the idea for the White Sox is to be, I guess, the hardest working team that makes the least amount of mistakes. Doesn't sound bad in theory. No. Um, Sounds great. I, I guess. And I didn't <laughs> bring up any clips of the budget but i know you mentioned the budget in your story Vinny. um it, it seems like it's it's less of the rangers philosophy of hey let's go spend 500 million dollars just fine the strategy could be whatever but it does seem more of like what i was trying to 
show on that post-it note of let's go a little bit more grassroots. Let's go a little bit more uh, bucking the trend. A lot of these teams like the Braves are setting records for most homers in the in, in a season. It seems as the, the next clip that we have, it's about defense and it's about making this a, I think he used this word, uh, an, you know, a great place for pitchers to pitch. Yeah, you've got to find a way yeah. to, to allocate your resources, um, you know, and, and, you know, figure out the best way to do that. We've got a lot of uh, pitching holes. That, uh, you're getting to work. There you there. go. I know. You can walk they have a private event at where I was sitting, and so now I have to move. But please feel free to keep asking me questions. Uh, it, well, yeah, no, just to go off of uh, what I was just saying, um, it does seem like the focus is less about the budget. The budget could be wherever it is. It's about improving the defense and, and again, letting pitchers attack the zone and letting this be a place where the defense is always going to have your back, a place where pitchers want to pitch. And then I think this leads into the White Sox' most important acquisition all offseason, and they haven't even signed any players, is going to be Brian Bannister, right? Um, so I, I don't know what you – at least speaking to the, the piece um, of the defense and, and pitching. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the number one uh, priority this offseason is to get better at defense. And I think that White Sox fans who watched this team the last two years know exactly why, right? I mean, the amount of mistakes that were being made were just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it, it was very clearly a main reason as to why this team uh, fell to the to the records that it fell to in each of the last two years. So to be able to iron out those mistakes to not have a roster where those are supposed to just be papered over, but to know that those things are going to be firmly in place. And that's going to be part of the identity of the organization guys coming up through the, through the minor leagues, guys that they're going to acquire and bring in from the outside. Uh, you know, it, it seems to me like that is definitely a change from the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, maybe the last many seasons, considering the people who were in charge over the last many seasons. Uh, and that's, that's going to be something that they can build everything else upon, particularly from a pitching standpoint, if you're going to go ahead and have pitchers that you want to throw strikes, that was another big problem for the White Sox last year. They couldn't throw strikes. If you're going to want guys that are going to be able to do that, you're going to need to give them the confidence that any ball that's hit on the ground is going to be going to be picked up and thrown to first base. Um, there's no labeling that this is a rebuild, Herb, um, yeah. but I feel like fans feel like they're putting this into the category of when you know, you're trading Sale and uh, Quintana, um, especially if you're now trading the players that you got in that trade, like Aloy and Cease, away. Um but it does seem like the less sexy of the rebuilds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Right? But they're not saying it. I wish they would say it and just yeah, everybody would be like, good. see it. Good. <laughs> Perfect. Like, I, and I know you tweeted out something or you put in our Slack today about uh, the Twins and how uh, Dan Hayes tweeted out that their budget's going to drop dramatically to somewhere like $120 million. And we know the other teams are not even close to $100 million in their uh, team payroll. I want Chris to stay within his first stated goals, like to have this team to be as competitive as they can be in 2024 without him sacrificing the future. And so this is the thing I want Chris to watch out for is that seeing that those payrolls are so low, seeing that the AO Central might be attainable by making a couple moves. I don't want him to be swayed by oh man tigers ain't doing nothing twins ain't doing nothing royals ain't doing nothing neither the guardians let's go and get a big ass bat that is not 
what he just stated about defense, not what he stated about picking the ball up, not what he stated about throwing strikes as a pitcher. Let's just go and pick this guy up because we have available funds to take this garbage division. I want from that press conference, I, I felt good about what he was saying. Now let's put it into action to keep on that track because those people are going to be not paying a lot of players, but what they do play are their analytics departments. They do pay their research and development department, and they do have players that are coming up the pipeline. That's why they don't have to spend as much as the White Sox. So that's the, the lesson that I want Chris to learn this first offseason. It's like don't chase a division just because the division is there for the taking if you're in the AL Central. Take the the demeanor of we're not should, we shouldn't be battling for the AL Central if the AL Central is not the best. We should be battling for the AL, and how we get there is by dismantling what's currently there because this wasn't good enough to win the AL Central at all, and building up something that is sustainable for the AL, not the AL Central. Yeah, and uh, too looking at you brought up the budget um, with the Twins looking to be around 125 million and 140 million. Um, it's less about again the budget. I don't care what the number is, and Chris really didn't talk about it, so we're not going to play a clip with it. Um, but Sarah, it, we had the two uh, pictures, right? So uh, let's see the White Sox current team right now and how many ho holes he has to fill. And this is from uh, Sox Machine. Uh, Josh Nelson made this uh, spreadsheet, so it's easy. I could put all the numbers in, and it changes and updates. Um, we have accounted for the Tim Anderson, Liam Hendricks, Mike Clevenger options, right? Right now, the White Sox sit at $112 million. You see Andrew Vaughn at first base. Oh, wait. Whit Merrifield hasn't signed yet. That's not official. Uh, sorry. sorry. Can we, yeah, it's the other one. My bad. Um, uh, so the Sox are at $103 million. Uh, there's 12 holes on this team. Vaughn Moncada, Benintendi, Robert Jr., Jimenez are the only players that I currently have in the starting lineup. Corey Lee, Romy Gonzalez, Gavin Sheets. So you have to add a bench bat. You have to add a right fielder. You have to add a shortstop. You have to add a second baseman. You have to add a catcher. Fun. Uh, you have three <laughs> rotation spots you have to fill. Uh, That's so Cease and Kopech are the only pitchers you currently have in the rotation. And uh, I have four bullpen uh, pitchers. They have a ton that could be in there. Maybe a Tanner Banks. Maybe a, uh, maybe a, a, a Jimmy Lambert, right? Uh, but the only four I included, Santos, Bummer, Toussaint, Crochet. Um, one of the holes you brought up, Vinny, was closer. I know we got a little bit talking on uh, Gregory Santos from Chris Getz. I have some thoughts about Gregory Santos, uh, but what do you make of the closer position? Uh, and, and especially from what Getz uh, spoke about it, because it seems like, you know, Gregory Santos is working his way back, but it's not a ringing endorsement uh, anywhere where Chris Getz spoke. No, no, it's a position that definitely might not be settled, but I don't I don't really get the vibe necessarily that it's going to be something that's going to be a top priority to go out and get. You know what I mean? I think this really I really get the vibe of they're going to throw out, you know, a whole 20 relievers in spring training and, and take the best ones. Um, obviously, we've talked over and over again about how Liam Hendricks has that thing that allows you to pitch in the ninth inning so successfully and that it's not necessarily the easiest thing to find. They thought they had it in Gregory Santos and maybe they still do. But certainly once he was given that position at the end of the season, he, he struggled a little bit more than he had at all during the, the previous several months. Um, and then he gets hurt. I believe it was a flexor strain that he goes on the, the IL with and, and ends the season there. Um, so what is his health going to be like? What is his workload going to be able to be? But that's just one guy. Uh, you know, the the next best candidate, I guess you would say, would be who Aaron Bummer, right? Just because of 
he's the best reliever, right, that they have. And he had a, a very poor season last year, obviously. But, um, you know, it's a guy who has been in that late inning role before. There's just not a lot to choose from. Are you going to make Garrett Crochet a lefty closer or, or do you want him to be able to deploy in certain other situations? Um, there's, there's not a lot there. So it very much could be a thing where 2024 is a, hey, we got all these relievers. Let's see what we got in them and see if any of them can be that closer guy, because I think there are going to be other positions and certainly you read many of them just now that are going to be uh, bigger priorities in terms of what they're trying to do this offseason. How many wins are they going to have? They don't mm-hmm. need a closer. They need to, I well, mean, you they, do need a closer. You need, you need a guy to pitch. I mean, listen, they, they started last season. They started last season with the closer by committee, and you saw how that worked out. Mm-hmm. And that's when they had a bunch of that's when they had a bunch of relievers that you thought were good. Yeah, yeah. high high price too. Um, right. At uh, least with yeah. Groot, I, I've been having this thought, Herb, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'll use you as my sounding board. Go ahead. Brian Bannister just came over from the Giants. Mm-hmm. Where did Gregory Santos come from? The Giants. How did we get Gregory Santos? He was DFA'd? He was DFA'd, right? They could have protected him for the Rule 5 draft. He had major league experience with the Giants. They had a pitching lab. They are one of the most forethinking uh, pitching teams. Gregory Santos throws 97, and you have that massive right field wall that protects you know balls from leaving the park. Why would you get rid of him? I mean, and he's inexpensive, too. That's another thing. Roster crunch, I guess? I- yeah, I, mean, I guess you just have enough of those guys in your system that you're like, he does this X, Y, Z too much, so he's not a giant. Did we, we, we saw, I mean, we go back to Toronto and, you know, Groot's, uh, we finally see the Groot headband, right? And we start falling in love with Gregory Santos. When did the White Sox fall in love with him? When did the White Sox think they had anything? And two, like, I, I don't know what they actually feel like with Gregory Santos. It didn't seem like there was a strong commitment there, right? Why wouldn't you trade him? It seems like there's... It, not a lot that has any value in this organization. He just had an extremely impressive year, is cheap, is young. I'm not sure if the director of pitching likes him. He just DFA'd him after the, he was in charge of that organization, you think, or at least of what the pitching moves were. Um, and Gregory Santos, I have a fear that he just got Garrett crocheted. He just threw the most amount of innings in his life. He throws 100 miles per hour, and I don't think that's sustainable. I feel like it's very possible Gregory Santos comes out and he's throwing 97 or 95, and that's what he's topping out at. And, you know, Groot Santos, who was this powerful closer, had a flash-in-the-pan season because that's a reliever's life. And I hear what you're saying, and I agree. If there was value in a promising closer, I would be sending him off to the next team immediately. But I don't know if there is. I don't know if there's actual value out there for the White Sox to gain other than some low-level prospects. Who's going to be paying you money for a guy that really hasn't done it in the major leagues? Just, yeah, he has a live arm. That's promising, but that's not a, hey, we're going to be trading you somebody that you can use in the future or currently from another team. So, yeah, if there's somebody like, remember Sergio Santos did it for the White Sox, and I know this a couple years ago. He was on a bad team. He was a great closer for the White Sox. I think an all-star closer. I remember people lamenting that trade, but I was like, what are you doing with a bad closer on a bad team? I hear you on that, but I also don't know if there's going to be anything on the other side of that. You say, man, that was good that we gave up Gregory Santos. I don't think so, at least. I I don't disagree with you, but if they please prove me wrong, somebody else, please Brewers or some other team, Padres, you're just going to lose your closer. 
Give us somebody who's uh, valuable on the other side. Yeah. Send Jake Cronenworth over here. Uh, I, well, hey, maybe. I don't know if the White Sox uh, need Groot exactly. Uh, we got a couple more clips to play for you, but we're going to take a break here uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, get back to uh, Vinny, who is live at Scottsdale and has found a, a place that's not uh, fenced off, I guess. You found blue skies <laughs> very, out in Scottsdale. It's very, it's very quiet over here. Yeah, you're, I know you're just getting the sky because this tripod's kind of low, but if you look behind me, there is a mountain back there, and mm. then, you know, as well as a parking lot. Um, and then if you look over this way, there's there's all sorts of fun trees and stuff, but yeah, I basically had to find a parking lot because they, there was nowhere to go. Are you down there by the Maple and Ash in Scottsdale? I, I have no idea. <laughs> This is in downtown Old Scottsdale. All right, uh, I'm, not, I'm not. A, I'm not a downtown. Not a downtown Scottsdale. Scottsdale kind of guy. I'm more of okay. the Phoenix. Send me to Phoenix. That's what. That's what I like. Started eating Hero Bread because of my dietary restrictions. I have type two diabetes, and I didn't want to give up my favorite foods like breads, uh, pastas, quesadillas, wraps, sandwiches. And Hero Bread has been great for me. And I'm sure you'll agree when you do try it. If you need a low carb option to fit your lifestyle or dietary constraints, the founder of Hero Bread, Cole Glass, he baked 100 muffins per day before he found the perfect blend that fits his allergy constraints. That's what pushed him to start Hero Bread. And the taste of Hero Bread, which I usually use their flour tortillas, which are only 80 calories and zero net carbs, tastes exactly like your favorite flour tortilla, but much better. As I found out, when you twist it up for a wrap or a burrito or something like that, it pretty much stays together. It doesn't fall over all apart like the regular uh, tortillas that you usually get. As I said, zero net carbs, high fiber, 15 grams of fiber in those flour tortillas per serving and only 80 calories. Hero makes sliced spreads, buns, and tortillas that are available at Hero.co or on Amazon. Right now, Hero Bread is offering CHGO fam 10% off their first order. Just go to Hero.co and use code CHGO to save on Hero Bread today. That's H-E-R-O dot C-O to save 10% today. Also want to let you know about our friends over at Circa Sportsbook, mainly their event tomorrow uh, at, uh, I guess I was going to say at November 9th, but that doesn't make any sense. Tomorrow on November 9th, Circa Sports Illinois will be hosting a watch party for the Thursday night game at Joe's on Wheat Street from 6.30 to 11 p.m. on November 9th. Brian Urlacher will be there from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. meeting fans and taking pictures. The Circa Sports team will be there with limited edition merchandise, food deals, and more. And you can RSVP at circusports.com the current bears line the bears are favored by three and a half points uh, justin fields is doubtful so be wary friends uh over under of 39 it's going to be a fun and ugly thursday night football game uh but circus sportsbook is your place if you are serious about betting uh their tight money line splits their low hold model is best for you the better games will strive to be a minus 110 split on the Circus Sports menu, unlike other sports books, which may use a minus 115 or minus 120 split, which basically means if you're betting on the Bears minus three and a half at minus 110 at Circus Sportsbook, or you're betting, you know, the Bears minus three and a half at min- minus 120 at X Sportsbook, um, I hope there's not an X Sportsbook. Uh, <laughs> you're just giving more money to the other sports book when you could be winning more money on the same prop with Circa. And Circa is so proud of their lines. It's the world's largest sports book that they uh, encourage you to compare lines from each sports book to make sure that you are uh, betting the best deal for you and making the most money possible. It's even better for tomorrow. Minus 105 with the minus three oh. and a half for the Bears. So well, even better for you as the better. Look at you downloading the Circa Sports Illinois 
app at circusports.com slash Illinois-app. That's circusports.com slash Illinois-app to sign up today. Also be on the lookout again for the Circa events like tomorrow at Joe's on Wheat Street. If you or some you know may have a problem with gambling, call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Text GMB833-234 or visit Are You Really Winning? Dot com defense 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 Chris Getz tell me about your plan for defense yeah you've got to find a way to, to allocate your resources um, you know and, and you know figure out the best way to do that we've got a lot of uh, pitching holes to fill obviously we've got the middle infield to take care of and um, you know I'd really 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 like to focus on our defense um, I think that that's going to be a, uh, a a large focus for us this offseason and, and certainly going into the season and um, you know I want it to be an attractive place for pitchers wants to pitch um, so I'm set out to do that uh, you know we're focus- focusing more on the defensive side obviously if, if if someone comes aboard that we feel like and can hit at the top of the lineup that, that's certainly a bonus uh, but more you know with with prioritizing the defensive side that is um, that's the focus and then we'll put together put together a lineup that help us win that night generally speaking with defense what are some of those aspects that you look for that, that make a, a good defensive player? Steady defender, you know, making plays that they're supposed to make. Um, you know, I, I feel like we've made too many mistakes um, through the years. So, you know, and, and when certain plays aren't being made, it's it's uh, a dramatic feeling for a team. It's dramatic for our for, for pitchers. So I, I really want to just settle that down so pitchers are comfortable attacking the zone and outs are being uh, made where they're supposed to be made. Well, I think, you know, with the shift restrictions, for one, defensively, you've got to be a little bit more uh, mindful on, on who you're putting on the field. Um, you know, I, I stolen bases, stolen base attempts and stolen base, uh, successful stolen bases um, are happening rampantly. Um, and, you know, you want to take... Stolen bases are rampant in Major League Baseball. It's traumatizing the White Sox pitchers. Uh, just cross off Blake Snell. He's not going to be a White Sox with his four percent caught stealing. Uh, I, I think you didn't highlight the part about rule changes uh, in the transcript, but I, I did find it interesting because I do think this is playing into the philosophy. Because again, you mentioned it. I mean, I think base stealing success rate is now up to eighty um, percent. It, it is a way to get an edge. And we saw that with the Diamondbacks. Um, I, I'm at least excited about it because it just feels like somebody who is aware of the sport that they are trying to build a roster for, <laughs> which I know is an extremely low bar. <laughs> like well, Rick Hunt I mean, said, ball listen, go far, team go far, and then they never did that. Well, he tried. I mean, and he tried. And, and I, I think the point that I was just about to make is that that's why they are where they are. That's why they can't take advantage of new rules for stolen bases. That's why the first thing on Chris Getz's to-do list this offseason is improving the defense, because the way that this team was built under Rick Hahn was they were going to hit so many home runs that it wasn't going to matter if they couldn't catch the ball. It wasn't going to matter if guys were playing out of position. It doesn't gonna, it wasn't going to matter how, uh, you know, uh, ineffective they might have been on the base pads because they were going to hit a home run every other at bat. It's, uh, you know, that was kind of the idea. Obviously, I'm being a tad hyperbolic there, but I think that was what the idea was supposed to be. This team was built to mash. And then these guys came up and they didn't. And so now you've got a team that's not only has failed at doing the first thing, but because of how the team was designed, they can't now do the quote unquote new things. And so, yes, Chris Getz is trying to build a team to take advantage of the new rules, perhaps, and and trying to establish an identity that he said wasn't there. Right. Because the identity that was there was 
supposed to hit as many home runs as possible, but the guys came up and couldn't do that. So uh, it's about shifting this team and this roster into a way that they can not only succeed by taking advantage of the new rules, but succeed if the power goes out again, right? You can you can always run. You can always play defense. Those are things that, they, that Chris Getz wants his team to be able to bank on when the things that never materialized perhaps don't materialize again. Yeah, and the two people with Bourgeois is going to be doing outfield and st- uh uh, base running and he was what 78% I believe in his major league career in stolen bases so he could teach the guys like, a couple tricks of the trade of what he's doing and I'm sure Grady Sizemore with his extensive stealing and when he was playing with the Cleveland Guardians slash Indians at the time he was really good base stealer so tips and tricks of the trade could be gone from those guys and a little bit more aggressiveness for these guys it seemed like Tim was very selective last year and he you know I think he only got thrown out like two times but he didn't steal a lot and we talked about Luis Robert and how he could be a 30-30 guy but I don't think he is going to be because of restrictions on him from the team because of injuries in the past he's gotten injured a couple times while uh, running the bases and I think that, yes, while hitting does slump, speed never does. And you could be uh, use your team to a little bit more greater advantage. If you're having these defense first guys, I expect them also to be good base runners too because to stay in the major leagues, you can't just be defense only and without any other tools. So I would expect the, uh, the defense first guy also to be a good base stealer and runner. Yeah, I do think that it's going to be a part of the philosophy. And again, it just makes me question, like, what is the future for Andrew Vaughn? And what is the future for Aloy Jimenez? Because those guys really struggle at both defense and base running. Uh, so it's it's it, it's very hard for me to, I guess, come to terms with one of the trades. Not like I'll be heartbroken. Um, but like, it's, it's weird to think because like, Aloy Jimenez has a position. It's a designated hitter. He doesn't need to be a good fielder if he's the designated but hitter. He, though? No, if he's the designated hitter. Yeah, but he doesn't want to be the designated hitter. And maybe that's part of Chris's calculations. Like, you got to feel and want to be the, in the position that you're going to be in. Otherwise, you won't be here. Well, And, he, and I, mean, I would love that. It, it seemed like he— Well, he uh, is here, though. Just remember that too. I mean, it, it, the, the the questions that we, or the answers that we heard from Chris Getz yesterday were they would keep they would have such hypothetical moves under consideration, right? I mean, they are not. He didn't come out and say we're trading this guy, we're trading that guy. We hope to get rid of these players. That guy's on the team right now, and until further notice, he will be on the team. Um, so yeah, he might not fit exactly what this description of the way that Getz wants them to play is, and perhaps by the time they get to the end of that contract. He's gone because he doesn't fit that description right now. But at the moment, they've got to figure out a way to win with him. And that's why they have a new hitting coach. And that's why they have um, an offseason plan for Aloy Jimenez. And that's why they have hopes that he will still be able to be healthy enough to deliver on the power potential that that once, you know, made him such a uh, uh, well thought of prospect. I feel like this is purgatory a little bit because it's like they have 12 roster spots and the guys that are currently on the team like Cease and Jimenez, they might get traded and we're going to look to address the team both in free agency and through trades. It just seems like this is going to be four months that are going to be never ending, which isn't a bad thing for content. Um, But I don't know. This is just just seems like it's going to be painful, which, hey, I'm, I'm not White Sox fans existence. But no, it's kind of teach- funny. No, I think it's kind of funny. It's you're getting a look into Sean's psychology here a bit because I would I think I would describe this while not perhaps typical off season, 
it's an off season, right? And there is going to be a lot of change. It's a new regime. This is what's going to happen. We do this every every year, Sean, where we where we uh, you know have to rearrange the roster and 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 talk about it like that. But I think the thing that you don't like, which is very true about what Chris Getz has presented to this point, is that the possibilities are so many that you can't put the puzzle together yet. And to an extent, that's what happens every winter, right? You're going to get a surprise signing here and there that changes the way that those pieces fit together. But in the last couple of years, it's been like, all right, there we know what they're trying to do. They're trying to win the AL Central. They need to go get this to do that. They need to go get this to do that. Just plug those pieces in and we'll go. Right now, you don't have uh, half the puzzle pieces. You don't know if the half that you do have is going to be there at the end of the day. And not only that, you don't have the frame. You don't have the outside because you don't know that budget number, which I know you're very upset about. So at the at the end of the day it's very mysterious but here's the thing like you just said it makes it interesting that's gonna make a, that's gonna give us plenty to talk about for the next four months that's fair i'm not that mad about the budget thing i mean maybe you need more of a budget if you're buying a car uh maybe if you're you're going to ray chevy i see what you did there uh, um, uh but no i mean for the white Sox again it, it, there's many ways to skin a cat um i think it's interesting with the twins pulling back on their budget right i, I just it I, yeah, I'm. I I don't know. I mean, the budget doesn't matter that much because it just seems like it's going to be smaller than what it was last year, which I expected. If they do see a lot of bases and they see themselves being more athletic, we're going to call this bougie ball. Bougie ball from Bu- Jason Bourgeois. Okay, that's it's works and on a t-shirt. Bougie ball. All right. It's Black I'll Friday. Text Eric, please. It's Black Friday savings time at Ray Chevrolet and Fox Lake. As one of the top-selling Chevy dealers in the Midwest, you'll always be able to shop one of Chicagoland's largest inventories. And all month long, you could save big at Ray Chevy during their Black Friday sales event, where you can choose from over a hundred Silverados in stock, the perfect tailgate vehicle. But that's not all. Get 0% financing with $0 down and zero payments until 2024. And I know everyone loves the word free, but that's not what you'll get this month free. at Ray Chevrolet. And, fr- and uh, that's not what you'll get in free and Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake. A free oil change. And all you need to do is mention CHGO when scheduling your oil change. Amazing. Amazing. You just go up there without any obligation. Just say CHGO. When you go up there, get a free oil change. It's Black Friday offer you do not want to miss, but you have to schedule it by November 30th. Buy with confidence with the Ray Price Promise. It's a guarantee that the price you see online is the price that you'll pay when you go into the dealership. And in many other cases, dealers will raise the price on you when you come into the dealership. Saying things are like, are you a recent college graduate? No. Are you active in the military? No. Are you a farmer? Wait, can I take take back my first answer? For or Can you ask me if I'm a recent college graduate? Are you a recent college graduate? More recent than you and Vinny. Boom, I did burn you. Roasted. Are you an active... Are you a farmer, Sean? Jerk? No, no I'm not. Okay. In most cases, the answer will be no, like Sean, and that's when the other dealers raise the price on you, saying that the price online included limited rebates that you don't qualify for. Well, at Ray, the price, that is not the case. The price you see online is the price that you pay with no add-ons or hidden fees ever. In fact, Ray will do everything possible to find additional savings for you, which make the price lower than you see online. Visit, visit Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake or RayChevrolet.com to get your Black Friday savings. They've been serving the community since 1963. 
Find new roads. Thank you, Herb. Also want to let you know uh, about our friends uh, at X-Golf. They're going to wow. be hanging out with us tomorrow at the CHGO Bears tailgate. Diehards get 20% off to, uh, to that event. So if you are a diehard, uh, enjoy 20% off for our tailgate. We'll have uh, all-you-can-drink Goose Island, all-you-can-eat uh, barbecue uh, as well. Um, and X-Golf will be giving away a $200 certificate to any of their Chicagoland locations uh, for one lucky winner. So find the X-Golf nearest you at playxgolf.com slash Chicagoland. So if you are heading over to the tailgate, make sure you're visiting our friends over at X-Golf. We'll have a booth there. And... This is usually a diehard read. Sign up, uh, level up your fandom. Yes, yes, yes. But look at my head. Oh yeah, I got a hat. Yes, you do. And I've had—I I was the first one to get a hat, so uh-huh, I'm very—I was very—I felt very special. Uh, but hats are here. We got four different styles. Head over to chgolocker.com. See which one's your favorite. Buy a hat today. Um, it's not only representative CHGO, but it is just representative of the city city as well. It's just a clean, sleek hat. I got to get the trucker version. I got the white version of the golf hat and the, the dad version, which I think you have. Yes, sir. I got a couple of those. I got one to Cordy. But they're at the house right now in the mail. So I'll get me a trucker hat because those are stylish. Yeah, you're going to be a trucker? Yeah. Long hauling that. Listen to Les Grobstein on the radio. Well, hello, beautiful. What the fuck? <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll say that too, creepily. That's <laughs> uh, the end of the ad reads. Uh, <laughs> kind of, this is kind of the, we're going to kill the analytics talk. You're welcome, Vinny. Uh, we have two more clips for you. And this is basically the WTF section. Yep. Um, I know that Chris Getz said that he doesn't like limiting anybody, but there's some interesting comments about Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos here in clip number five. Well, you know, there's different styles of playing the position. You know, you look at Corey Seager with Texas, um, bigger body, you know, fairly or unfairly, Colson gets compared to him probably just because of, of, of the size um, and being a left-handed hitter, um, you know, but, but, you know, you look at, you know, you, you go across the diamond with um, with Texas, whether it be Young, Colson, <coughs> and Semyon, and Lowe at first base, you know, at least three of those guys aren't the rangiest of, of defenders, um, but they, they make the plays that, that are supposed to be made. Um, and, and once Colson um, is is consistent on the routine play, he is athletic. He, he does show uh, ranging ability, um, but really it's just having steady defenders across the diamond and, and all, all real spots in the outfield um, as well. So um, that, that it allows our pitchers to, to do a lot more um, and be more efficient and keep pitch counts down um, just by attacking the zone, knowing that their defense can make plays. You, you, obviously, you talk about Colson and, and his ability to play shortstop. We've got Brian Ramos that's, that, that, that's coming into the system. Um, obviously, he's more third base. There's been some versatility in his bag as well. Um, we don't have anyone internally that that is an obvious choice at any of those positions right now. So if that means that you know we look at the free agent market or, or um, working out a trade to, to, to help plug those holes, you do that. Um, so we're, we're, we're very open-minded. We've got some some players that are they're moving in our system, but um, yeah, we certainly want that to take a natural course. We don't want to force anything. The Brian Ramos thing was mainly a, a shout out. Hey, maybe he's got versatility. And he also, when talking about Nick Nostrini, said he didn't want to limit the potential of any of those players. But the Colson Montgomery talk seemed a little bit more pointed. Um, he's going to be starting in Charlotte next year, which I don't know if uh, people, if that was reported on yet or, or if it's mentioned in your your column, which I think it is. Um, 
but Colson's going to be starting in Charlotte, or he might break camp, right? Oh, Vinny's muted. Oh, there you go. There we go. There we go. Um, those seem to be the two paths. Yeah, for him, it's absolutely. Uh, the he's going to be given an opportunity. I mean, it, it certainly, we didn't get him. Chris saying he is going to camp, but. He's going to camp, and he's going to have an opportunity, it seems, to make the roster if he shows well enough. Now, granted, he only played, what, 37 games at AA last year. It would not be a surprise if he takes as much time as he needs, obviously, in the minor leagues. Um, and But Chris did say that if he doesn't break camp with the team, he's going to start the season probably, most likely, at AAA. Yeah. Whew, I get it, but, yeah, I would uh... – and I understand that they're trying to give this kid a boost and trying to give him something to look forward to. But as Michael says, I believe that he's still a year plus away from coming up to the majors. I just don't want the Andrew Vaughn, not mistake, but rush to the major leagues to be had for Costa Montgomery. If they bring it up names like Corey Seager and not afraid to bring up names and put them in the same conversation with Corey Seager. You don't see that much, especially with general manager types. The only one I've ever seen that with the White Sox is when they said that about Luis Robert, and they weren't afraid to put those names around there. So maybe Colson is that dude. But also, we, are, we had Luis Robert, and that's one. I, it's a, very hard to imagine we got two where they're really top of the league type of players, and these people are not afraid to say these are the comparisons to the other people that are top of the league. I mean, the Seager thing was mainly just defensively why he brought that up. Cause that question too, I, I didn't lead that question in super greatly. It was about what do you think of Colson as a defensive shortstop? Okay. So he brought up whether, whether fairly or unfairly he gets compared to Colson, you are, uh, you know, whether he gets fairly unfairly compared to Seager, there is a model of big lengthy athletic shortstops in the major league. I just think, again, he's played, what, 186 games yes. in the major league level? Minor leagues, yes. Uh, minor league level. Um, I would like to see a little bit more seasoning on my shortstop because, again, you're talking about how important it is for defense. Maybe this kid is Connor Bedard, like the Connor Bedard of shortstops. Maybe he is ready to go, but you're also addressing uh, you know, Andrew Vaughn, who was rushed through the minor leagues. I, I feel like, and that guy was way more polished and ready. I, I just feel like... If Colson is ready to take on Charlotte and have a great year and Dominate. sell some tickets, that sounds great for uh, Tommy Viola and the, the Charlotte Knights team. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to see Colson in a Sox uniform. I mean, just we yet. just saw Oscar Colas, and I know it's a totally different situation because that man's older, played internationally, but I felt that was rushed also. So let's learn lessons that we have made before or mistakes that we've made before and not rush this kid. Let him do his thing and let him force the issue. Hitting 400 down in Charlotte. All right, kid, come your ass up. Yeah, but I mean, well, I think I think what you guys, uh, you know, what certainly Chris said over and over and over again in regards to prospects in general that they don't want to rush them. I mean, this is a it is a um, uh, a philosophy of him and the organization to not rush guys. Now, it doesn't mean that it might not happen on at you know just because certainly Andrew Vaughn was a special case with missing that year because of the because of the COVID season, um, but. A good thing to remember is what we heard from Josh Barfield when he stepped in and talked about his approach when he was the farm director here in Arizona, which was every player is different. Every player is different. And so, Herb, you can't say, oh, no, they rushed this guy. They need to learn to never rush a guy again. Every player is different. And I think that the, the thing, the lesson that Josh took from his time with the Diamondbacks was saying 
I learned that every player is different and that the approach needs to be very individual. And we can't say we have this overarching thing where everybody needs to have exit bats at every single level before they get promoted. And so maybe with what Colson has shown them, Chris has a little bit more confidence that it is going to be uh, able to be more easily done. He is closer maybe than the ever than your average player because of the individual approach they've taken with him. Does it mean he's ready? Does it mean he's going to break camp with the team? Absolutely not. There's a whole off season and an entire spring training to figure that out. It would seem to me if I had to predict today that Colson Montgomery would play, start the season at AAA and not at the major league level. But again, there's months to figure that out. And I think they are going to take a very individual approach with all of these guys. And I got what you're saying, Vinny, but I look at all Chris Getz's moves with a jaundiced eye because of how he got the job and what his job was before. So he could say all the good stuff he wants. The actions will preclu- will judge have my judgment for him. Right now, very low on him. Very, very low on him. Low on who? Chris Getz. Oh, why? Why is that your biggest? Why are you taking it? Because he's not qualified for the job he's at. What do you need? But he hasn't qualified. He hasn't. Yeah, he does have. It. You're not. Cha- you're not changing it, Herb. I'm not, not I know I'm not changing it, it but I'm just saying, so, like, so, whatever he says is to me doesn't feel like I should take as gospel because he's not really good at the job that he already was at. That's your opinion. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You can't. You can't just be every every two days when the guy says something you can't be like oh well i don't care what he said because i don't like him i mean like we're talking about the team moving forward he's given us some he's given us something we'll see if it comes true right i'm not saying that everything he says is going to happen exactly how he wants to play it out and if we know anything from watching this team we know that things don't go exactly to plan right so uh but listen if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about where this team is going from here on out and certainly when we get to talk to him here at the gm meetings and talk about this offseason coming up there you go. This is, this is the information we have. Otherwise, we're just guessing. Uh, what's more likely, Cease gets traded or Montgomery's on the opening day roster? Ooh, Montgomery's on the opening day roster. Montgomery's that's a good on the question. opening day roster. Because they have way too many holes otherwise to fill. Like, Cease is a their number one, their ace. Could be an ace over everybody else, too. But I think the dearth of starters makes it hard for them to get rid of uh, Dylan Cease, and I would think that uh, Chris Getz would be cautious going into the trade market, knowing if he trades Chris uh, Dylan Cease, that would be one of his first trades, and he'll be judged heavily upon the return on that and how those people perform. Yeah, I don't think you can be afraid of that, though, if you got to make the move. Um, but I do think what you said was absolutely right in terms of the starting pitching. He's really the only guy they got. And, uh, you know, I think we asked Chris about this yesterday, and he said, if basically said, if we're going to trade Cease, you know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but if we're going to trade Cease, it's, the package is going to have to address that starting pitching need. They can't just get rid of Cease for, a you know, a second baseman and a right fielder and be like, all right, now where do we, now what do we do? They need to, and, and on top of it all, they need to get a hell of a package back. Now, I do think that that package could exist i mean you look at this free agent class just in general the the entirety of it it is not you know it is not strong uh compared to some of the other ones we've seen in the past so we'll see what happens i think that's i i think that's a really good question though sean i don't i don't really know how to answer that because i think there is a chance that we could see some some big trades this winter uh i i think it's most likely that more likely that colson starts the season with the Sox. Uh, you look at least just at shortstops uh, since the pandemic uh, who have played that young 
uh, in the major leagues. Uh, Andres Jimenez, uh, Fernando Tatis, there's a former uh, Tampa Bay Ray who also did that. C.J. Abrams, uh, Geraldo Perdomo, Bobby Witt, Ali De La Cruz, Ezekiel Tovar, uh, Anthony Volpe, Gunnar Henderson. You know, a, a lot of those guys really didn't, like, fail, right? Like, I mean, like, the ones that are you know, the cream of the crop really do rise to the top. And I, I think that it's possible that, you know, Montgomery does at least threaten here because when we were talking about a, a cease trade uh, with the Orioles in the trade deadline, I, I didn't really care if ja- Jackson Holiday was a part of it. Like I wanted Grayson Rodriguez because you're getting rid of a pitcher uh, with control. Uh, why would you, you know, not bring that back into your organization like Rodriguez does? Um, but I'll ask you this too. Uh, cease would be the most attractive pitching uh asset right mm-hmm. looking at the free agent market the, the, oh oh i see what you're saying yeah like if, sure. he, if he was a free agent with the like saying you're signing him to a two-year and arbitrated adjusted number right compared to signing aaron nola to an, a, a multi-year deal like is he the most attractive one even though you have to give up prospects the yeah the uh, starting pitching market is not that strong and so yes him already on a pretty much nicely controlled deal for probably getting as good as performance out of any of those other free agents than cease. Yeah. I think his is the most attractive in this offseason, even though you have to give up both capital on your team and money to him. But the money, like you said, is negligible as a, when it comes to like Jordan Montgomery's money or mm-hmm. the guys you name are Aaron Nola, yeah. Marcus Stroman, et cetera. Um, it, it depends on the team. It depends on the team, right? Because I think some teams are probably fine saying, oh, all it costs is money. We get to hang on to our prospects. And other teams are going to be like, well, all it costs is prospects. We, you know, we, we're happy to we're happy to give those up because we want to win right now. And we're happy to have the savings to go out and spend that on money on somebody else. Yeah. And, and just to add to this, I mean, I don't know if I, I would say Cease is probably the most attractive just because, hey, uh, you know, you're not, you're paying him probably under 50 million for the next two years. Uh, there's only five players too uh, over the past three seasons to strike out 200 or more in those uh, seasons. Corbin Burns, Kevin Gosman, Aaron Nola, Garrett Cole and Dylan Cease. Uh, finally, let's play the Yon Moncada thing and send people out here on a laugh. It's clip number six. Yon Moncada is versatile. Is asked by fans pretty often. So, you know, is is Yoan Moncada capable of moving over back to second base if he needs to? If you guys have an opportunity to add a third baseman that fits with what you're looking for, is that something that he can do to to, to fill that need in a different way, or are you leaving him at third base? You know, I think he is capable of playing different positions. Um, obviously, he's played he's played some second base with us. Um, I think he's a better third baseman than second baseman. That doesn't mean that you know there there, there aren't going to be some days that perhaps he goes over to second base or um, plays first base and perhaps even the outfield. But we'll, we'll do what's best for our club. Outfield, even with back, that would be possible. You think? Well, health, you know, yeah. health dependent. Gotcha. Okay. First base? Did you say first base? I mean, he, he, he's a he's a very good athlete. He is. Um, and if that means that we need to uh, have Yoan be more, more versatile. To, to help our lineup on a nightly basis, you do that. First base? Did you say first base? Word? What? <laughs> um, I, I, I'd love to see it. Uh, we, no, it, it listen, I think the question is to me, what is the situation on which he would be going somewhere else to some other position on some days, right? I mean, like, isn't the idea that, you know, 
you want to get be, be as best as good as you can at defense isn't as good as you can be at defense having Yohan Moncada play third base every single day like uh, that that was the that was the curiosity to me with that one is that like I get maybe you think he's versatile maybe he thinks he can you know you can that he can play some innings at some other positions but why would he need to and I guess that is the the question for me yeah, he's, he's bad at defense at second base. Got to get Zach Rimlart some at-bats, guys, somehow. He's never played first or right field. I don't think he's going to be too good at it. He's an athlete. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And as um, Dan says, an athlete with a bad back. Right. Um, I think that maybe is the thing. Hey, look at this versatile player. He could play third, second, right field. He costs $24 million. First base, he's a switch hitter. He gets on base. Who wants trade for him? Who wants to trade for him? We'll eat so much money, it's not even funny. Um, anyways... Uh, uh, a lot to take away. We'll probably still be digesting this tomorrow. You could read Vinny's 13 takeaways or 13, 13 things that he did take away from the Chris Getz uh, press conference. You could watch the full press conference on our YouTube channel. We only have 31 likes. Liam Hendricks is a great number, but would like to see a little bit more. So make sure if you're hanging out with us, hit that like button. Thank you to Vinny. Follow him at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. And again, he's posted three new articles for you already. So go check up at allchgo.com. That's Herb Lawrence. You can follow him at Wall 23 He's our CHGO White Sox community leader. And I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me at Sean underscore w underscore anderson thank you to sarah for producing the show goodbye we all silly like the mayor 